Dr. John Raymond is the president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Raymond, thank you so much for being with us here in the studio. I want to ask you, I want to start out with a, a question from a listener that just came into the text line. Is having a crease on your ear lobe an indicator of a heart issue? Yeah. First of all, I want to thank the listener for a really interesting question. Um, the short answer is maybe. Um, there have been some studies over the last 30 years suggesting that if you have a crease in your earlobe that your risk of heart disease is increased. Not much you can do about it unless you want to get plastic surgery, but I don't think that's <laughs> going to really help. But it, the correlation is really, really tiny. So where's the crease in your earlobe? Like I'm trying to think. If you look at down at the down bottom, here. if there's a crease down the bottom part of your... Yeah, some people have a crease right at the bottom of their earlobe. I never noticed. Do I have a crease, Greg? No, you look great. You're going to okay. be healthy. All right, you're safe. Yeah, you're I never noticed that. Ooh. You guys don't have creases either. Well, I got headphones on. Okay. I see your ear a lot, though. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm, a, I'm around you a lot during the course of the day. Dr. John Raymond is with us here in the studio. Uh, let me ask you about uh, this drug. CVS no longer selling medications that contain a drug I can't pronounce as the only active ingredient. What is the drug, and how does this happen is my real question. This is approved, and it's sold because it's deemed to be effective, and now it's being pulled back because it's not effective. Yeah, a really good question. So the drug is phenylephrine. It's a decongestant that's used in a lot of over-the-counter cough and cold medications. And it's been it really been used for almost 50 years. It was started in the 70s. It was deemed safe and effective uh, to use in these compounds for cough and cold. And there's some studies lately that suggest that it isn't very effective. No concerns about safety. So there's an advisory committee for the Food and Drug Administration that on September 12th recommended that the um, classification as safe and effective, the effective part, be removed. The FDA hasn't actually acted on that yet. Um, we expect they probably will within the next few weeks. So CVS is proactively removing any medications that have that as the only active ingredient because it's still deemed very, very safe. Dr. Raymond, growing up, uh, it was pretty standard. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, three meals a day. And, and now we live in a world where, yes, there's breakfast, there's lunch, there's dinner. There's also snack time for my daughters at school and a little snack when they get home. They don't eat a lot. They're smaller kids. But the idea of spreading out meals or maybe having more meals but smaller portions, is, is there a direct correlation to improved heart functionality? Yeah, really good question. There was a recent study from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, a, a really old and very, very solid uh, survey study that suggested people with heart failure, congestive heart failure, if they spread their meals out over the day over a period of time greater than 11 hours, that they had an improvement in their mortality by about 40%. Mm. So over a five- to six-year period, people that had their meals – sort of compressed during an 11-hour or less period of time, had a 40% higher chance of dying. Really don't know why that would be. Maybe there's a stress on the cardiovascular system. You have fluid swings or salt swings when you compact all the meals. Uh, but it is stressful, actually, to digest food. And so that's really interesting. But it's just one study. Dr. John Raymond is with us in the studio. So news this week that Children's Wisconsin closing a clinic in Milwaukee. It's on North 29th Street, and people in the neighborhood are not happy about it because it's their neighborhood clinic. How do healthcare systems evaluate access to care and when to consolidate and when things like this happen? Yeah, thanks, John. The, um, Children's did announce that they would be closing the next-door clinic. 
um, by the end of the year, and they would be relocating the patients. I think there are about 2,000 patients to at least three other clinics that had available spaces. This is always a tough decision for health systems, especially children's, because they're committed to providing care closer to home. But it could be staffing issues. It could be that the space is no longer capable of supporting all the work that you do there, radiology and laboratory work. It's not efficient for patient flow. It's not accessible for the patients. Uh, So there are a variety of different reasons why a health system might close or move a clinic. I got another question from a fan, Dr. Raymond, that I wanted to share with you. He asks, what are the best foods to consume before and after donating blood and why? At the donation center, it's very common for a sugary treat to be offered post-donation, but is sugar what is needed after the donation? Yeah, uh, thank thank you so much for the question, and thanks for donating blood. I'm a 20-gallon blood donor, so I'm a big That's believer. amazing. It is. Um, <laughs> and I always like to drink apple juice and have a cookie afterwards. <laughs> it just tastes good, um, right? <laughs> but if you think about it, maybe having water and an apple might make sense. So I actually called uh, and asked the people at Versity um, why we give sugary and salty snacks. And basically what they said is um, when you give blood, you lose a little sugar, you lose a little bit of salt, and you lose some fluid, and that as long as you replete those and you sit 15 minutes to make sure that you can walk out okay, you're going to be fine. If you want to eat healthy, that's fine too. Okay, so we're going to stay on the sugary topic. The types of Halloween candy that cause the most dental damage, I'm, I'm afraid to hear this, but I'm a sweet tooth guy, the types of candy. I'm a sweet tooth guy too, but it's no surprise that Halloween candy can cause dental damage, cavities, and gum disease. But some candies are more likely to harm health uh, than others. And those would be hard candies and then chewy, sticky candies. Mm. So some examples are jawbreakers, fireballs, hard, hard sour candy, mints. If you crunch down on those, you can fracture your teeth. And also it's harder to clear the sugar from your teeth and that low pH that is caused by sugar can cause bacterial growth and that can cause cavities. And then chewy candies, which I actually love, like Tootsie Rolls and Bit of Honey and Starburst and Milk Duds and Sugar Daddies, um, those stick to your teeth and they also can lower the pH and cause cavities. So the take-home message, and I'm not a dentist, is if your kids are going to eat candy, have them brush their teeth and floss when they're done. I hear you loud and clear. Go with the Kit Kat. I like Kit Kats, too. Go with the Kit Kat. I like the sour gummy worms a little too much, but I'm guessing that fits right into what Dr. Raymond is talking about. You have to limit that intake. For sure. How about good news of the week, Dr. Raymond? Yeah, I, I think this is really easy. It's Giannis's contract extension. Yes. Such good news for Milwaukee and for the Bucks, And really, it just shows you what kind of a good person Giannis is to be able to do that. He could have held out longer and... I think all of us are grateful that he did that. You're right. That is indeed good news of the week. Dr. John Raymond is the president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin. We're always a little bit smarter after you've been here, Dr. Raymond. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. 